Uh, the scripture's on the uh, printed there. I'm going to read it. I'm going to make one editorial change while I read it, and it'll make clear why I want to do this from From the Gospel of John, chapter 14, 2 through 17, the truth of the matter is, this is from the Inclusive Bible reading. The truth of the matter is, Jesus said, anyone who believes in me will do the works I do and greater works besides. Why? Because I go to Abba Father, and whatever you ask in my name, I will do it, so that God may be glorified in me. Anything you ask in my name, I will do. If you love me and obey the command I give you, I will ask the one who sent me to give you another paraclete, another helper, to be with you always. The spirit of truth whom the world cannot accept, since the world neither sees her nor recognizes her. But you can recognize the spirit, because she remains with you and will be within you. Uh, it's really an honor to be with you today. Uh, I, I'm Doug. I live in Minneapolis. Uh, there's a number of things that bring me to New York. I have a son that lives here just a few blocks away, uh, and uh, a, sister, a half-sister that lives over in Queens. My wife's sister and her uh, wife live up in Harlem. My wife's brother and his uh, partner, they live uh, in South Harlem. And so anyway, I'm here amongst family, and I feel that way being with all of you as well. And I'm on a book tour. Uh, that's another reason I'm here. We'll talk about that in a bit. I've written a book called Outdoing Jesus, and it's framed uh, out of this passage, actually. That's where it comes from. So um, the time I have with you, I'm going to chat a bit about that. I also do a project called Vote Common Good. Uh, we are a national organization that wants to inspire, invoke, energize religiously motivated voters to do the right thing with their votes uh, when they vote in uh, national elections. So I have a particular opinion about what that right thing is, that we will stop the Trump administration. I believe Donald Trump to be the light of the world and the salt of the earth like the rest of us, but not every light of the world should be the president of the United States. So we should let that light shine doing something else to stop bothering the good people in this country. That's my own opinion. But anyway, that's the work that we do, and uh, we're going to encourage you to work out your own uh, common goodery uh, when it comes to voting. So, so we do those projects. So both of those things, the book tour, uh, my family, and Vote Common Good, all three of those things bring me here to, that, to be with you tonight. So I'm really glad to be here with you. Um, this little passage that, that we read, especially that beginning line, uh, this particular translation reads it as, the truth of the matter is, anyone who believes in me will do the works I'm doing and do even greater works than these. It's sort of the forgotten passage in that longer thing because the longer section, as we read, has this bit about anything you ask in my name I will do. That's gotten a lot of attention. A lot of people have thought and worried about that little phrase. But that earlier phrase, if you believe in me, you will do the works that I do and you'll do even greater works than these. That's a really provocative statement. I make a suggestion that... Uh, book that I wrote about doing Jesus, and Jesus' statement is really good news. It's also really provocative. It makes you ask yourself a lot of questions. The things that Jesus is talking about in that passage where he says, the works I do, the things I do, those works and things are the seven miraculous signs in the Gospel of John. Perhaps you know a lot about the Gospel of John already. You might know that it's structured with seven miraculous signs, and only seven. Matthew, Mark, Luke, those three Gospels that are included in the sect, they have lots of, of miraculous sort of activities. But in John, there's only seven. In fact, the Gospel of John is structured in such a way that it wants to be a like book of Genesis early chapters creation narrative. That in the way that the book of Genesis starts with, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. 
And then there are seven days in the week, the seventh being the day of rest, the day of Sabbath. And the other six days, different things are created. Well, in the Gospel of John, it starts out with that same kind of poetry at the beginning. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. You might know it begins like that. The Gospel of John doesn't begin with a lineage narrative of this person begat this person in a patriarchal system. Instead, it says, everyone who is born of the Spirit is born of God. Everyone's part of the God family, right? It starts out that way. And then rather than having seven days, it structures seven miraculous signs. These seven miraculous signs, the Gospel of John, I believe, are structured in that way to give the imagination to the reader to know that what Jesus was up to was trying to say that there's a way of humanity. That what Jesus is setting out to do is to lay out an imagination for how humanity can live. And the recreation of a new humanity in these seven miraculous signs are specifically designed to be done, redone, and outdone. Those who believe in me will do the works I do, and they'll do even greater works than these. My friend Samir, who pastors uh, a church that meets in this room called City Lights, that's why that sign is on there. On Saturdays, did you know that there's a Seventh-day Adventist church that meets in this room? Yep, they meet right here. They look a lot like you, but they organize this way. So I spoke to that group, and you organize this way, and uh, I prefer this. So, uh, a great group of people. But Samir, I, was, I, I spoke at a church called Middle Collegiate Church this morning, and uh, he was there, and at the end, he said, you know, one way to imagine it is that Jesus says it almost with longing in his voice. Those who believe in me, those who follow me, they're going to do what I do, and they're going to do even greater works. That what there's a version of Christianity that really wants us to have Jesus be exceptional to the point of almost not human. Exceptional to the point that, well, that was Jesus, is our response to anything that Jesus might do. And I get it. I get the impulse to want to have a savior, a lord, a teacher, a master teacher, a rabbi, kind of get to the point of being up and out in a whole other realm of being. The Gospel of John is not going to let you get away with that for very long, though. It's going to push you right back down to the ground. It's going to have Jesus saying things like, I'm in the Father, the Father's in me, and I'm in you, and we are one. And just as the Father and I are one, so are you and I one. And the same Spirit that indwells me is the Spirit that indwells you. And what you get in the Gospel of John is Jesus as proclaimed as the Son of God and the brother of humanity. Jesus is not pitched as the miraculous exception to humanity but rather as the magnificent rule of humanity. So when he finishes the seven miraculous signs that you get in the Gospel of John, then it's at the end of that, and then just before the whole rest of the Gospel of John, after what we just read here, takes up with the last week of Jesus' life and his pending death and his execution. All of that is, this sits at the hinge of it. I'm going away, but those who've lived in this way they are going to continue this work in even greater ways. So the seven miraculous signs are not signs pointing to a Jesus who is totally separate and different than us. They're not pointing us back to look at Jesus. They're designed to point humanity on the way forward. It's really quite provocative and compelling. There's a couple of things about it that I think are, are pretty important. This little phrase, if you believe, those who believe in me, will do the works I'm doing and do the great works. Did anybody start, even when you heard it read, was it, did anybody have that little moment where you thought, 
all right, there's the condition. There's the clause. There's the, there's the hook. There, there's my outs or there's my explanation for why people don't do miraculous signs. Did that cross anyone's mind? Did you, did you pick that up that it could feel like there's sort of an if-then clause in there? Was it true for anyone? It wouldn't surprise me. I tried that on for, for a while, too, and like I wanted to have that sort of way out. Here's why I think it doesn't work. Now, uh, not to get overly nerdy about the words, but the Gospel of John really is particular about the words that it uses. In fact, it uses the Greek version of, of the word that we translate believe uh, 83 times in the Gospel of John. You, if you're flipping through, it's not that many pages, right? Because, you know, like a gospel book is not like a real book length or anything. It's, you know, it's short. Uh, you can't get a page, more than a page or two in, uh, through it without every page or two seeing the word believe. It's everywhere from the beginning to the end. John 3.16 to John 21.12. It's just all the way through. You're getting it all the time. Believe, believe, 83 times. It uses the word belief zero times. Here's why I think that's important. Not to take you back to second grade or to schoolhouse rock, but the word belief is a noun. And a noun is a person, place, place or thing, right? A verb is an action that's taken. Believe, or pistis in the Greek, is a verb. Pistos, belief, is a noun. The Gospel of John is structured fully around those who believe, those who verb. Here's why it matters, because belief is something you hold, something you possess, something you could take and have as yours. So if you read it as those who hold the right belief, they will do greater works than me. If you hold it as those who are verbing, those who are living, those who are believing, then it's anyone who's living in that way. Anyone who's, it's almost as if what Jesus is saying is, those who are living in my way will do the things that I do and even greater things than these. It's believing. The, if Christianity in its history had held to believing and not to belief, Imagine where we would be. For most of us, the spirituality in our lives, and I don't mean to overspeak for your life, but my guess is this would be true for all of you. Any spirituality that has come alive in you has come because you have a believing happening, even if it feels sometimes like it sits in contrast to the beliefs that you might hold. In fact, we're trying to get our beliefs to activate in our life. Well, that's what the Gospel of John is doing. There's just something really interesting thing that it does with language. It, I get into all this in the book if this is at all, at all interesting to you. But the other phrase it uses a lot is the word light, but it also uses the word life. It's a specific version of life, eternal life. It uses believe, eternal life all the time in the Gospel of John. Here's the thing. The word eternal life in a lot of our usages of it also has been translated or reused into people thinking that it means heaven or a place I'm going to go later, afterlife. But the word eternal life, you know, the word eternal means without beginning or end. Life is a pathway that has no beginning or end. Can you hear Jesus now saying 
those who believe, who are living, who are doing, they're going to enter into a path of life without beginning or end. What a difference it is to say those who believe in me will be on the eternal path of life without beginning or end as compared to those who hold the right belief will end up in the right place. Well, no wonder Christianity's had a hard time figuring itself out as we sort of make our way through, right? Uh, and curiously, in this particular translation, it chose to put the, uh, print the word faith. Faith is also a noun. So it's more, and this happens all the time. This is one of the things that when you're translating a language and you're translating a set of phrases in one set of words into another, you're making choices like this. They're not necessarily bad choices or good choices, but they do have an impact. So it's a pretty common thing to have happen in someone's life. So here's why uh, I've been working on this book. Because I think that Jesus' big idea all along has been that ordinary people are outdoing Jesus, and it's really good news. And you're probably one of them. The imagination for individuals and for Christianity as a faith to be about empathy and about inclusion and about participation and abundance and generosity, that's what you find in these seven miraculous stories, these seven miraculous signs. They're really quite intriguing. You want to dive into one? I have about five minutes left. You want to do a quick dive into one of them? All right, uh, there are seven. Let's do a quick, um, a, a quick uh, uh, survey and see if we can get all seven of them, first of all. Anybody have a guess on which, uh, well, on, on, on a miracle? And we'll, we'll, uh, I'll let you know if it's in the Gospel of John. Or maybe you know all seven of them that are already in there. But go ahead, just shout one out. What's that? Feeding the 5,000. All right, that one is in there. It's actually the feeding the 4,000, uh, and it's interesting. Now, here's the thing. The, gospel, the, the, the miracles that are in the Gospel of John, there's only seven of them, and they are either not in any of the other Gospels, or if they're in there, they're told so differently, they almost have a different conclusion altogether. That one is in there. The thing is, that one that's in the Gospel of John, the feeding of the thousands, that's the place where the little kid has the loaves and the fish with them. In the other here, in, in the other Gospels, Matthew and Luke that tell that story, there is no little kid that's got a bag full of, uh, that's packing a little bag full of lunch with him that has more than he should. And it's in the Gospel of John where Jesus says, the kid is the answer. In the other Gospels, Jesus prays, and they don't explain how it shows up, but in this one, it's like the kid's the key to the whole thing. Okay, so the feeding of the thousands. Anybody else? Yeah. Water to wine. Water to wine, yep. Water to wine is number one. I thought we would do that one tonight, uh, real, real quick. So water to wine, miracle number one. Are you college age? Uh, yeah. Yeah, it's sort of the perfect party trick. So I'm glad that you're the one that brought that up. Yeah, <laughs> and you noticed that one, water to wine. All right, anybody else? Got a guess? Raising the dead. Okay, yeah, raises someone from the dead. The raising of Lazarus, the calling Lazarus back from the dead. Probably the most impressive of the seven. Uh, I mean, you know, feeding 5,000 people with a kid's lunch, pretty good. Uh, but you know, uh, if you read the book, you'll be like, oh, we figured out how to crack that code long, long ago. Feeding 7 billion people on a planet, far more impressive than 5,000 people for lunch. So anyway, uh, the, the, and that's what I do in the book, is I say, here's how ordinary people are doing and out doing these miraculous signs and why Jesus' uh, imagination would be. That's exactly the way it was supposed to be. All right, so raising the dead, that's three. There's four more. They're healing related. Yes? 
the blind man. It's a particular blind man story. Do you know which one it is? It's the one with the spit in the mud. It's one where Jesus spits on the ground, makes mud, wipes it on the man's eyes, and has him go wash it off. Really dramatic. I mean, if you think of anything in the Gospel of John, just be reminded, it's the one that Jesus is down and dirty, spitting on the ground, making mud out of it, and that kind of thing. That's, that's, that's the kind of miracle it is. It's, it's a gritty on the ground, dirt and spit kind of miracle. That's four. Woman who bled. The woman who bled. The woman who bled is there, but it's not considered one of the miraculous signs. Isn't that curious? Yeah. Yeah, she, the woman who comes up behind him and she's been bleeding for 12 years and touches him and she feels that surge and Jesus is like, what's going on? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Not the pigs, when he puts the spirit into the pig. Ah, the spirit's in the pig, not in John. Yeah, but that's a really good one. The pigs all go running and man, the, the, the demonic man. Yeah, I don't know. Okay, it's uh, the healing of the man whose little boy has a fever and he's a long way away. It's the second one. The man from the Roman army who comes to him and says, can you heal my son? Really great story. That man crosses a cultural boundary to come. You can imagine a Roman soldier coming to a Jew, Jewish peasant healer and saying, will you care for my son? And then Jesus chooses to heal a little boy who's probably going to grow up and be part of an army that's going to oppress his people. Wow. There's a lot going on in that story. All right. And uh, a couple more. There's a man by a pool. He's laying by the pool, and lots of other people out there, you might know this story. It's the one where Jesus says, do you, want to be, do you want to be well? And the man says, yeah, but every time I try to get into the water, when the waters are stirred, I can't get in the water. Remember that one? Yeah, really he, doesn't, he doesn't even say, yeah. Do you, know, you want to get well? Is that what you mean? Yeah. Yes, yeah, you're on to it. Yeah, it's a great part of the story. Good, you should take up the sermon. I have to leave in about three minutes. You can pick up that sermon. Okay, and then there's... Uh, one more. No. One more? Yeah, one more. It's the walking on water story. If you're thinking of the walking on water where Jesus says to Peter, Peter, come in the water with me, walk with me, it's not that one. In this one, there's no upside to it at all. They're just in the boat, they're really scared, Jesus shows up on the water, and all of a sudden they get to the other side. It's really bizarre. Here's the thing about these, about, about these miracles. And I'll just make a couple of comments about the water they're not all that impressive, really. I'm not trying to take anything away. But they're not like they're so superhuman level that they're unbelievable. Like, none of them have Jesus flying, which I think is, if you were going to have Jesus, like, be a, a superhero kind of character that human beings are nothing like, if that's what we're doing with the Gospel of John telling miracle stories, that's not it at all. All of these miracles have Jesus in these really ordinary circumstances. The other thing is, in none of them does the beneficiary know what's happening or know anything about Jesus. In none of them. They're not contingent upon the person. When he does the, the, the water at the wine, uh, the, the water and the wine at the wedding, he does this whole thing and he changes water and I write about how important it is for us to provide drinking water around the world because wa- a wine, uh, wine from water was actually one of the primary ways that people would get liquids in the first century around the world. Like we tend to think about purifying water through a filtration system. The primary way of filtering water was using fermentation. 
That's how people got drinking water. That's why wine was so common. And still, there's a great book. If you buy two books in the world, buy this other one I'm about to tell you called uh, The History of the World in Six Classes. And the second book you should buy is on the table there. It's called <laughs> but The History of the World in Six Classes is fantastic. It's like the story of wine and beer and spirits and coffee and tea and soda. And the history of the world can be told through the, the development of these. So Jesus performs this miracle so that people can drink. But then he also does this amazing thing where the place that he does the miracle, the thing he uses is the cisterns, if you remember the story, that are used for purification rites. He takes the thing that was set aside for a religious function and uses it to save a man's wedding. And by saving the man's wedding, he saves his honor. So I like to say, anybody who's providing that which people need to drink, anyone who's taking the holy and making it useful for humanity, anyone who is saving the honor of another person with a celebration, with a party, with kindness, with care, with protection, they're doing and outdoing the things of Jesus. And that's how we're supposed to imagine the story going. That's what it is. It's this big, beautiful story where you start to see yourself in it. So what I'd love to invite you to do is to consider your own life that way. You can read those stories on their own. If the book is helpful for you, fair enough. I'm recording all, a whole bunch of talks and putting all this stuff out for free. So if you don't have any money, you can find all this content elsewhere. But just find a way to consider your life and the life of those around you. Because being a miracle worker in our day is the point. It's not the exception. Miracles are not about breaking the laws of physics. They're about breaking open human potential. What you see in all of these miracles is the brother of humanity saying, what if we lived like this rather than like this? And you all are modern day miracle workers. Would you turn to somebody and say, there's a miracle somewhere around you. There's a miracle happening. I know it's hard because miracles, I know they're like, the pretend things that don't really happen that would have to defy the laws of physics, that's just a, too simple of a way to think about a miracle worker. In the tradition of Jesus, the leader, the teacher, the Lord, the Son of God, and the brother of humanity, turn around, look at somebody, and say, you're a miracle worker, and I'm going to be a miracle worker and try to, try to defy time and get myself over there. Okay, thanks? All right, thank you. All right. Send our blessings to Chris. I will see you